This video is for those of you that are grieving and lack the fantasy of heaven to guide you. Without heaven, you're left alone with the truth that the person that you love is so absolutely non-existent. But I'm here to say that I don't think that is necessarily true. And I'm here to offer two thoughts as to why I say that. One thought is based in neurobiology and the other in physics. And I think these thoughts may help you. A religious person believes that one day they will see their loved one again, and that in some ethereal sense, their loved one still exists. If not their body, at least their memories, thoughts, their mind, their soul exists. In their fantasy, the person is not gone. They are only out of touch for a while, and one day they believe that they will be reunited. It's a beautiful fantasy. But for you, listener, there is no such fantasy. For you, there is no comfort. Death is absolute. It is absolute, unalterable in the end. This video is for you. This is not woo-woo, and I'm not selling anything. In a very real way, I think that we can still access parts of these people, bits of these people after death. These ideas that I'm going to talk about, these two ideas, they've helped me in dealing with grief and loss, and I've taken comfort in them. My hope is that someone in need may find utility in these thoughts as well, and from that utility, perhaps peace. By way of disclaimer, it is not my intent to diminish in any way the suffering and the grief process that a religious person goes through. I'm not suggesting that a religious person grieves less just that perhaps there are some challenges that are unique to the non-religious survivor. And that is the subject of this video. I'm going to take you down two different paths here. If one doesn't work for you, then the other might. The first, um, the first path will help most if your loved one was related to you by blood. Um, the second path will be relevant to you regardless of genetic similarity or not. So in the links below, I'm going to add a timestamp time if you want to, to jump ahead. Okay, so first option, first idea. Um, this involves finding our loved one through our own neurobiology. So consider this. If you buy into the notion that what makes us us is entirely physical and chemical, you know, our personality, our memories, thoughts, these are all the result of neuron pathways and our body and brain chemistry. If you buy into that, then it would follow that you would probably find a perfect copy of them to be valuable. Realm of science fiction, I know, but bear with me for a moment. Um, now, of course, a perfect copy, um, the individual awareness of the original person would not be there. You know, the actual awareness would be a different one. And so that is a bit of a problem. We could talk quite a bit, I think, about how real what we call awareness actually is. but. The point still stands. If you would see value in a perfect copy of the loved one, identical all the way down to the neuron pathways, biochemical balance, um, all of that, well, that kind of actually exists. Not perfectly, but closely. And close enough, I think. And it exists in your own brain, especially if you are related to them. Basically, if we are our brain and our chemicals, then parts of your brain will be wired in the same way that theirs was. 
same neuron pathways, same biochemistry. And I think that those parts can be accessed. Think of a brain scan, um, for example, with different areas activating in response to different stimuli. Well, if what if for just a moment you could activate the parts that you share in common with that person? You know, for a moment that loved one would exist through you, through your brain, and through, at other times, through the brains of others that they were close to. Um, if you are related to this person, if, for example, if it's a parent or sibling that's lost, uh, then there, there are two reasons why your brains will be structurally and chemically similar. One is history with the person. Common, common experiences um, would create similarities. The second reason, of course, is just being uh, just because of inheritance. If you're related to them, then you have inherited much of your brain structure similarly to them. There are probably parts that are nearly identical. So uh, that does lead us to a quick problem. Let's address that, that you know, while we may share similarities neurologically and chemically, we are not in fact identical to our loved one. But I think it is close enough. Um, I have found that in, in, in a very real sense, I think you can sort of light up those areas of the brain that are like that person and you can feel like that person is there with you. Not like they're like a voice speaking in your head or anything, um, but instead it's as though you and that person are sort of one being for a moment and together you are both thinking through your neurons, through your neurons, thinking through your thoughts, feeling, both of you feeling through your chemistry. I mean, everything is physics and chemistry, even thoughts themselves are chemical and physical. And if you buy into that, then probably you can buy into the concept that you hypothetically, if you hypothetically recreate the same chemical and physical conditions, you effectively have the same person. I've found that certain situations or environments um, can ignite brain pathways that are most like my father. That's the person in my life that I've lost that has inspired a lot of this. Um, and it will feel to me for a moment that in a very real sense, he is in fact there, safe in my own brain. So try this. Sometime when you're in an environment that you associate closely with that person, in a place where you can predict with great certainty what that person will feel about that environment or situation, try to access them. For example, in, in my case, I can invoke this sensation of presence at times in my life when I am alone in the very wild parts of our planet. In the Arctic tundra, for example, watching savage winds whip curtains of snow across icy wastelands. Or when watching a storm lumber into the high desert, the dark clouds consuming blue sky, transforming the red flats into heavy shadowlands. These wild and untamed places of the world are the places that for me have lit up my brain in, in the right way to be able to feel uh, that presence. Um, try places that you have existing memories with the person at. 
um, and try places that you don't have existing memories with the person in. Um, for myself, I actually find that uh, places where I do not have existing memories actually works better than places that I have existing, that I do have existing memories with the person. Um, this does not always work, but when it does, for me at least, it's powerful and healing. So now onto the second avenue, the, the second option, the one where it doesn't matter if you're related or not. This one requires um, you to take a bit of an abstract journey with me through high school physics and science fiction. Let's consider dimensions and space-time. Maybe as a kid you read A Wrinkle in Time, and you remember the part with the line and the square and the cube explaining rudimentary concepts of the first three dimensions, the fourth dimension being time. Uh, the dimensions described in this way, uh, the way I saw it, basically kind of describe different ways that space can expand in a sense from the space taken up by a dot to the space taken up by a line and then expanding that line into a square and a cube each taking up more space by adding another direction that can be explored left and right up and down front and back and then the notion of time would theoretically kind of expand that space in a sense by making that space exist across all different times. Perhaps someone more knowledgeable about physics will watch this and provide some insight into these thoughts. Um, absolutely feel free to do so. Um, but now the fourth dimension, you know, time, it's different because we can't move freely through this dimension the way that we can the others. So for dimensions one, two, and three, you know, we can go up and down, front and back. But we can't go to yesterday. We can only go forward. Are we even fully four-dimensional if we can't explore this dimension like we can the others? Um, that's our perception of it, at least. We perceive the passage of time as though we are trapped in a train every day just to stop along the way to put it into the words of the hip-hop artist, Dessa. We can't go back because we lack the capabilities to do so, but it's my understanding that though we perceive time as a flicker of moments moving forward, all of these times still exist equally. If all of these times still exist, then all of those special moments with that person still exist equally. Einstein rationalized that time itself is, is relative, you know, that for example we would perceive the passage of time differently in different parts of the universe. The movie Interstellar explored this a bit. Um, I quite liked that movie. Uh, what I'm, so what I'm saying is that if, um, if all time exists equally um, and it, it, the problem is that we are limited by what we can perceive, okay? So, um, because we can only perceive a current moment, we are stuck here at this point, you know? And um, even though we can't go back to the times with our loved one, physically, we, that time still exists and is just as important. Our memories are really just as real as the current moment. You know, gamma light. Gamma light exists and is just as real as light in the visible light range, even though our physiology lacks sensors to detect it. X-ray light is not made less real because we cannot see it ourselves, 
it's a limitation of our biology. What if time is like this? We lack the tools to fully explore it, but all of time, every moment of time, is still just as real nevertheless. So physics people, add your knowledge, please, even if it upends this pondering. So if you think of loss in this way, you know, the loved one is not truly gone, but your train has carried you away from them. If you were capable of exploring dimensions, you would be able to get to them, but thinking, but thinking in this way, the upside is that it would make your memories of them just as real as the current moment. So that's where I gain comfort from this thought. Your thoughts related to death and time and space and space-time and all of these grim and great things are more than, more than just welcomed. Please add them to the comment section. Um, I'm going to end this video by adding a personal example. This is a short essay paragraph thingy that I wrote soon after my father's death, the first time that I felt like I had kind of channeled him in a sense. Uh, the way that I described the, the first example um, that I described here in this video. Uh, in my mind, the context here is that in my mind I asked him what he would say to me about this suicide, awful suicide thing. And so here anyway is what I wrote in response to that. Dad, if you were here, you would remind me of multiverse theory. Multiverse theory suggests that we exist in, exist in just one of an infinite number of universes. And in each one, every single possibility could occur, all the way down to the movement of a single subatomic particle. And because there would be infinite universes, every possibility would occur somewhere. Some universes may be so different from our own as to be absolutely unrecognizable to us. Matter may not behave as matter in the way that we know it. But somewhere, because the multiverse would be infinite, there would be another where every quark and electron, every event of electrostatic attraction, occurred the exact same as it has in this universe. And therefore, all of the life forms, individuals and events, played out exactly the same, except for this one thing. Somewhere this didn't happen, and everything from now on will be different because of it. I hope you found, you found what you were looking for. Dad, love you. Thank you for your curiosity and your eternal sense of awe at this world around us.